Hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of Absolute Entrepreneur, where I interview entrepreneurs in my community. I'm your host, Brianna Clark, but if you're listening, you can just call me Clark. I am an MBA student at the University of West Florida, and I have a passion for creative marketing and the entrepreneurial mindset. Today I have with me an entrepreneur who I work closely with every day and has helped me find my footing in the business community. He is an entrepreneur down to the bones, starting from owning a restaurant and bar to now running Lico ET. I would like to welcome Lico Crump. So what's up? Well, I'm excited to be here with you, Brianna. This is the first time that I've ever been on your podcast. Yeah. In fact, am I your first guest? You are my first guest. Well, I'm honored. I'm honored. Or should I call you Clark? You, you can call me Clark. Okay. All right. <laughs> so tell us about yourself besides, you know, working with me. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, um, my name is Lico. As you said earlier, I grew up in the state of California over on the West Coast, but I moved from there when I was 13 to uh, Pensacola, Florida. And um, so since I've been here since I was 13, teenager, and now I am well into adulthood. I consider myself a Pensacolian and not so much a Californian um, per se, but it has been an amazing experience here. Um, at first, I hated Pensacola, and then I moved away for a little bit to find bigger and better things and realized that the people that I love and the people that I want to experience life with was actually here in the smaller town of uh, Pensacola, Florida. Home is where your heart is, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. As cliche as it may, may be, uh, that's the truth, total truth. Yeah. So um, I'm just going to start this out by saying, you know, I'm in a venture development class, and I want to learn a little bit more about you as an entrepreneur. Um, so uh, we are giving an abundance of content that has made me think a lot about entrepreneurship and how actual entrepreneurs that have been in it for so long, like you have, um, how they actually see entrepreneurship and, you know, just the day-to-day things about it. So the two topics that I really want to hit on are about risk and adversity. So first, I want to give you a quote that's from a TED Talk where um, the importance of uncertainty is dis- discussed. The speaker, Victoria, says, a period of not knowing is a period of great potential. And I just, I know where I am at right now, and uh, I'm at that period of not knowing, and I can constantly think about what I want to do next. So I can see where that's coming from, but I want to see, like, you know, your parts of, you know, your periods of not knowing and how that's turned out for you. Yeah, sure. So I have had a few times where I had no idea what I was about to do, but I did it because the unknown part was really part of the motivation. Uh, The first business that I started was with two business partners that I had met. Um, I had met them in Atlanta. When I said that I moved away from Pensacola to find bigger and better things, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And while I was there, I worked in a restaurant with a gentleman by the name of Damien. And he had a friend there in Georgia that he had grown up with. And um, while... Damien and I were working in the restaurant together. We had talked about possibly opening our own place, you know, our own place of business. And, you know, we kind of joked around about it a lot. And while we were doing that, 
we were also talking about different opportunities to get out of the restaurant business because that's what we were. I mean, we were working like 60 hours a week or something crazy like that, 60, 65 hours a week. And it was a good job compared to many other jobs serving tables because we had full benefits and, um, you know, we had lots of perks and retirement and stuff, which is not something that's normally in a restaurant. It's because it was for a hotel company. Yeah. And, uh, so we were trying to figure out what would be the best way for us to be able to uh, turn a profit and get out of the restaurant business at the same time. This is how confused we were at the same time. We're like, let's open our own place. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, so this was in 2006 and 2007 and we were really excited about getting into real estate investment. Oh, wow. Now (laughs) for those that are old enough to remember, in 2008 and 9 the economy took a total crash and it was because of the real estate boom so him and i are all over the place and we're going all over the greater atlanta area inside and outside the perimeter for people who have been to the city of atlanta know what i'm talking about um looking for investment properties we were going to buy them with debt and then flip them and uh while we were doing that, we were also still thinking about opening our own place. Well, we worked with a gentleman from the Virgin Islands, and he said, hey, man, you guys got to go down to the Virgin Islands and try to check out, uh, you know, that you would you would do great if you opened up a restaurant or a bar down there. It would be wonderful. Yeah. And at this time, Damien and I were like thinking, oh, we'll just stay somewhere in the Southeast United States. We'll open up like a piano bar or something really fun, you know, like go to a college town or something yeah. like that. And then, you know, uh, after that, the guy that we worked with from the Virgin Islands told us about that. Damien was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't we go open a business in paradise? And so he ended up going down there with the other guy who ended up being uh, the third business partner. Yeah. And they went down there and I, you know, I, I mean, I had to work still. So I stayed and worked. They went down to the Virgin islands, went to St. Thomas. And, um, a few days later, Damien gave me a call back and he said, Hey, uh, I think we found a place. We found the perfect place that we're going to go ahead and get. And, um, I said, okay, well, when you get back, um, fill me in on all the details and let me know what's up. And so they came back. They, I think they were down there for about a week, week and a half. Came back. We met at uh, the local coffee shop that was in his neighborhood. And uh, we talked for about an hour. And he told me all the details. And then we talked how the business partnership would go and how all that would work out. And that same day, I went to work. And when I reported in for my shift, I also handed in my five weeks notice. I gave them five weeks. And you gave them plenty of time. <laughs> yeah. I gave them plenty of time. Um, I was a supervisor at the time. I wasn't serving tables. So it was a little bit harder for me to just dip out. I didn't want to leave them hanging. want to make sure that they were covered. Yeah, of course. Um, since I was on the management team. So I gave them five weeks notice that gave me time also for me to sell off my 401k and collect all that money so I could yeah. be part of this um, business venture. And, um, and so there I was, uh, five weeks later, I had sold everything I owned except for my musical instruments and some clothes. 
and I was on a one-way trip to the Virgin Islands. Talk about uncertainty. Yeah, I had no idea. Selling everything you own. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea what I was walking into. Well, uh, how did that turn out? Well, funny that you should say that. So um, it was definitely an interesting journey. Uh, you know, we, this was our, all of our, uh, for, for all three of us, it was our first business venture. We yeah. had absolutely no idea what we were doing. Um, you know, I had experience in, you know, very little experience in managing a restaurant, right? Yeah. And I, you know, had other positions before where I managed like small staffs of people and stuff like that. Um, and then uh, the other two business partners, they had, you know, some limited capacity, but none of us had ever run a business. So we really had no idea what we were getting into. And um, St. Thomas is a very interesting place. Um, there was a lot of red tape and there's ways to get through that red tape. If you want to do things that maybe aren't socially acceptable, um, you know, you can, I mean, it's just kind of one of those places Yeah. and we, uh, stuck to our integrity and we did not want to cross those lines, you know, to get the red tape pulled. And so it took us months to open just, I mean, we had some build out and everything like that, but then we finally got open after we got all of our, uh, you know, permits and everything. And, um, while we were there, we made so many mistakes. Um, and we definitely learned, we got a lot of experience. And one of the main things is we got a lot of experience on what not to do and how not to run a business. Um, basically the way that the three of us look at it is, um, we don't regret it, but we would never do it again. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but also in addition to that, this was, uh, by the way, this was in 2007 when we moved down there. And then, um, in 2008 was when the economy crashed. Well, you know, at the same time, tourism had dropped drastically by like 40% or something like that. So, You know, that definitely hit our business. And when we were not running it as well as we possibly could, then we weren't prepared to weather the storm. And we didn't really have the capital anyways to weather the storm for, you know, three, four years until the economy kind of was reinvigorated. Um, But I basically came back home a year and a half later. I had uh, $60.00. To my name, and um, I had those same clothes and musical instruments that <laughs> I didn't sell off. You came back with what you left with, right? <laughs> I came back, yes, with what what I left with. Um, but uh, one of the things is that I, I look at optimistically was, um, so I did pull out my 401k retirement, you know, to yeah. make this business venture possible and I lost most of it. But incidentally, most people who had 401ks also lost theirs because the economy crashed. Yeah. So at least I lost mine having fun in the Virgin Islands. Yeah. Um, you lost it doing something you enjoyed yeah, and you yeah, learned from, you yeah, learned from it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a very expensive, um, uh, crash course yeah. in what not to do in entrepreneurship, but I really did love the process. And so that's another takeaway was I really loved the process of building something from scratch. And that was so exciting and so fulfilling. And, um, you know, there's no dollar amount that can take that 
away for me or, or, you know, it, it made it worth it. Yeah. So, you know, everything that you did through that, um, it made you continue to want to own your own business in the future, no matter, you know, how successful or not successful it was, you, that's still a goal of yours. Yeah. You know, actually when I moved back, uh, my plan was, was that I was going to hang out in Florida for about six months and catch up with my family and everything or friends and family that I hadn't seen while I had moved away. And, um, and I was going to move to Nashville and open up a restaurant on my own. Yeah. That was the big plan. And, uh, after six months, I, um, actually started liking Pensacola more. A lot had changed since I had moved away. Um, Pensacola was not the same place that it is now. Um, you know, just 15 years ago, it, it, uh, you know, at five o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday, there'd be like, you know, tumbleweeds rolling oh, down yeah. Palafox. Like there was, it's every, not the livelihood that it is. Yeah. Now. Every parking space was open. You know, it was that kind of, it was like a ghost town after four thirty, five o'clock during yeah. the week. And so, uh, you know, I decided to stay and, you know, really when it came down to it, just for the short term, I kind of wanted to have a job and just like do something to where someone would just tell me what to do and yeah. I would collect a check. But after I did that for a while, the itch did come back and I was like, you know, I'd really love to do something on my own. I'd love to, um, you know, I always had something in me that wanted to, again, like build something from scratch or do something on my own. Yeah. And the itch that you're talking about, uh, I know you love Gary Vee, you know, yeah, and yeah. he's always bringing up, you know, you may work that nine to five job, but you'll always have in the back of your mind just wanting to have something of your own and constantly wanting to make something of your own. And, you know, I always see that in you. And <laughs> every time I talk to you, you always give me ideas of new things that I could do. Um, but, you know, that was definitely some adversity for you, uh, yes. to say the least. Yes. <laughs> um, so the next thing I did want to touch on is um, a TED Talk about adversity. And um, this is by Amy Mullins, where she discussed the opportunity of adversity. And she just, you know, her main topic was the human ability to adapt. And that's some adversity that you came from. And you kind of d- touched a little bit on how that, you know, how you adapted to that and... Um, you know, those periods of not knowing and, you know, or just the periods of wanting to work for someone else. So you can just kind of get back to your center, but it always yeah, went back yeah. out to wanting something new. Right, right. So um, what's some other adversity that you came across that has now brought you to where you are and how you've adapted and made it, you know, into Lico ET? Yeah. So even through the whole thing that I said earlier, I never mentioned the business that I have now <clears throat> and uh, it had started off where I was just doing like music entertainment, you know, whether I wanted to, um, whether it was DJing or MCing or, uh, you know, an event, or maybe I was, you know, hiring a band to play and, you know, basically like a booking agent style where someone would say, Hey, I need a band. And I would go find the band and, you know, book it for them. And then I would take my cut off the top for like, making it all happen on the back end. Um, and I was a performing musician, so I knew a lot of people in the, in the network of musicians in the area and bands. Yeah. So I always had this draw towards, 
music performance or entertaining people. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about that is, uh, you know, the way that you make people feel yeah. or the way that the band or the DJ makes you feel. I always have said, you know, as a DJ or a band, the, you know, years later when someone, uh, when someone that was at that event that you were at, they will almost never remember the songs that you played. Um, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. And because of that, uh, you know, someone can then remember back to that time, or maybe they do hear a song that you played and it'll take them emotionally back to that time when they were having, you know, the time of their life yeah. and they were dancing away or, or making new friends or making new memories, hopefully, hopefully good ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so that was always a draw for me. And, uh, so I did that. That's how Lico ET started was, it was music performance. So sometimes I would perform live as a musician. Sometimes I would, be hired as a DJ and that was just to kind of keep things um, fresh and also to keep me busy because um, even in the downtime for maybe uh, bands like here in this area along the Gulf coast of Florida, uh, you know, during the winter time, it slows down for bands. So it was always good to have that DJ business to fall back on. But now in the last couple years, it's taken a complete turn to where now I, my focus is totally off of the music part. And now it is on uh, social media video production, which is very different than videography. Yeah. So the, there are two components to what this is now, and it's a uh, multi-camera live streaming with integration of uh, graphic assets or, or videos within the live stream. And then that can be streamed to any uh, social platform except for Instagram because of the way that Instagram is engineered. They don't make it real easy for you to live stream from third party applications. And then um, the second part of it is um, like short videos, very short videos, like 60 second videos or something like that, that a business can use. Now, this was all kind of born out of my job working at the chamber and I saw a need there and um, as I began to learn things for my job and wanting to implement them, I realized that there was real potential there for something different. So I completely transitioned within like a three to six month period. I was like, okay, I don't want to do any more music performing anymore. And I just really want to focus on the social video production thing. And um, it really uh it really made a difference especially when 2020 came around now i had already been doing this for you know a year year and a half yeah really kind of learning on the job training you know making tons of mistakes again uh, because you got you rely on so much technology and in many cases technology does things that you don't want it to do and it's out of your control but you also have yeah. a learning curve where you got to learn the details and how you to use your adapt, equipment. Right? Yeah, you do have to adapt. <laughs> but yeah. where the real adaptation came was when COVID hit and everything that I had been 
learning and all the skills that I had gained in that last year, year and a half transitioning into social video production really became key when COVID hit because not only was it super useful for my job, but um, there was a, a need for businesses, for um, bands and artists, uh, for them to continue reaching their customers and their audiences. Yeah. So like when COVID hit, all the musicians and bands lost their gigs because all the bars were closed. Yeah, nothing in person. And yeah, yeah. And so I was like, hey, you know what? I, I mean, I've run sound for bands before. Um, running sound for a live stream is completely different than running sound for a live event. But at least I knew my way around a soundboard and I knew how to interface it with my live streaming equipment. And so I could still provide um, a way for now these bands to reach their audiences worldwide without, you know, without leaving their house or yeah. without leaving a remote location. And they could still, um, you know, get money by accepting digital tips and, and everything like that. But then there were other opportunities too, where businesses were like, Hey, we're needing to have our event virtually. How can we do that? And so, <clears throat> you know, all of a sudden I became, uh, you know, people started coming to me for yeah. advice. They came from come to me for consultation. They yeah. would come to me to hire me uh, to to do their event, and so it became. That's where the adaptation really paid off, yeah. because I saw the need that, and that's really where the adaptation came from. Was I saw something that I was doing which was useful, but you know there are a lot of a lot of DJs, there are a lot of performers out there. But then what I was doing there was a vacuum and a void. Yeah. And I realized, okay, well not only is this something that I enjoy doing, but there's almost no one doing it at the same time. Mm -hmm. So here we are. Because pre 2020, we at the chamber, um, we were already live streaming our events, you know, because that was something that was normal for us, but not really anyone else was doing that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So when 2020 came around, I think, you know, that really helped kind of shine the light on us and what we were doing. Because everyone's like, oh, you guys were already streaming events live and you're helping other companies stream events live, you know. And it really came around to everyone being like, oh, yeah, come help us. Like, come do that for us. Mm -hmm. So I think that it was cool that you were able to like kind of, you know, already be on that train before it really took off. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things to where, um, you know, the technology has been here for a long time for us to do all the things that we all started just doing in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> for instance, like video conferencing has been around for years. Now, maybe not at the quality that it is now, but it's been around for a long time. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, but but now all these businesses are realizing, oh, wait a minute we don't always need to get together at a meeting space or some of these businesses are now learning, Oh, we actually don't need all this office space that we thought we needed. Yes, exactly. And and many, many of our employees can, can work from home or, or, you know, or, or we can meet virtually or maybe the travel is not necessary. Um, but I was glad that, you know, one of the things about, uh, about not only the leadership at, where where we work, they were very accepting of new ideas and a transition over to virtual. It wasn't that difficult, but not all businesses were that fortunate and that lucky. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but 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 yeah, I I definitely um, really enjoyed kind of being prepared 
for that. And, um, you know, it makes you feel good when people are coming to you because they need, you know, some type of skill or some type of product that you have. And I was able to, to help, you know, nonprofit organizations and businesses and individuals with, you know, stuff that Leco ET provided. Yeah, of course. And there's so many small businesses that, you know, would not be where they are right now if they didn't even have that capability of still having a light shone on them. Yeah. You know, when yeah, that's right. everything was going, you know, south and they weren't able to be open, you know, down a lot of downtown Pensacola businesses, you know, did not have that opportunity to still have the business capacity that they do now mm-hmm. because all the virtual components, like uh, when bartenders were getting tipped virtually and things like that. So that's right. I think how, you know, how businesses have had to innovate and how started using technology completely, like to rely completely on it from now on. And then it's also cool to see how it'll affect us in the future. How many businesses, you know, they'll keep having, you know, virtual, being a virtual business instead of being in person. And then how, you know, how things change from here on out and how many events instead of being regular events how many of them are going to be virtual and i get a lot of people are kind of bored with virtual stuff you know mm-hmm. uh, the zoom meetings and having to be on oh, them yeah, all the time yeah. but i think once you know a little break from that comes people are like well this would be a cool webinar to have as just a webinar and not have to you know pay for there's so many costs that could be reduced sure by sure. companies that you know, if they needed to go completely virtual. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I think that the virtual space, regardless of, of what happens, you know, with, you know, COVID-19 or who knows, or COVID-20, COVID-21 or 2020 is not completely over yet. We don't know. (laughs) But um, the virtual space is here to stay. And, um, so that's encouraging to me since that's where my business lives. It's kind of like on that virtual space. That's the service I provide as I do like live streaming events to those, um, platforms, to the online platforms. But, um, I think that one thing that, uh, that businesses are going to need to learn how to do if they're a business that, you know, has events or that does education or that has meetings, um, is to be able to do a hybrid meeting. Yeah. And hybrid meetings are actually, um, they're pretty difficult to successfully execute. So for instance, you know, if you have a room full of people and you have someone speaking up front, that's normal. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a 100% online, um, say like a Zoom meeting, that's very easy. Everyone knows how to do that. But what happens if you need to have, say, like something like a Zoom meeting, but also a room full of people, and then yeah. they all need to interact with each other? Well, so many people have been in the, those meetings, and they realize that if it's not done technically correct, it's just the it just doesn't work. There's so many things that could go wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you know, you can't see the people in the room. the The people who are virtual can't see the room full of people well or they can't hear anybody in the room or maybe the people in the room can't hear the people on the call. Yeah. And it can kind of be a technical, you know, bowl of spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> if if not done correctly, but I think that this is again another one of those voids as we continue to move on where some of your staff is going to be in person and some of your staff is going to be virtual or 
if, if you have an event, you still might have an event, but maybe you can only have 50 people in your event, but you normally have 200 people in your event. Well, how are you still going to do that? Yeah. And, and what if that's a way for your business to generate revenue? So that's a really important step. So for instance, like, um, this week I'm working with an organization, uh, for one of their biggest fundraisers of the year. And it was a music performance. It was like a, a music uh, performance and, and kind of like a comedy skit. And they would sell these tickets to raise money for their organization. Mm -hmm. And it was very exclusive and people would come and it would be in a theater. Well, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. So um, what they did was they um, sold some VIP tickets to have a very low quantity, um, you know, seating in the venue where they're going to have it. So it's like maxed out at like 20 people where they used yeah. to have hundreds. And then the rest of the tickets are virtual tickets and we're going to live stream the event. So again, it's a hybrid event, which is very different than just an online only yeah. or an in-person only. But this is an opportunity for that nonprofit to, you know, raise much of the funds. And if they didn't do it this way, then they might be out of luck. Yeah. Cause and there's the plenty of nonprofits that, aren't able to do their usual fundraisers because yeah. things are so limited. So I correct, think this is, correct. you know, a great opportunity for them to be able to kind of have a business as usual without it being business as usual. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the adaptation as you, you know, the big circle Yeah, and we <laughs> took forever to get back there, but the, the adaptation, um, I feel fortunate to be, I was a, kind of ahead of the curve when yeah. it came to, the, um, the live streaming and, you know, the virtual spaces and everything. And I'm, I'm glad that I was prepared and not caught off guard. Um, there are very few organizations other than say like churches, churches have been streaming their services they for have. years. <laughs> so they actually were ahead of the curve too. Uh, for a lot of them, nothing changed, but, um, but, uh, yeah, so that's how I adapted. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for talking with me and discussing this and, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow, but for the people that won't, you know, um, what, can they follow you on socials or can they find your business to help them if they, you know, heard something interesting in this podcast? Yeah, sure. Sure. So you can, um, you can follow me on Instagram. It's leekoet.svp, which stands for social video production. So that will help you remember it. And then, um, you can also find me on Facebook at Lico Entertainment Technologies. I think you can actually type in Lico ET and it might pop up. And then, um, and then you can go to my website, which is LicoET.com. Awesome. Well, thank you. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us. Uh, we had a great time recording this and have a good day.